I'm going to validate myself before I go onto the app so that I know that when I get on there, if something sort of teeters me, I already know my worth. Yes. Yes. Well, I freaking love that. And I say action and affirmation. You know, I'm, I'm having some doubts. I'm having some lack of confidence, lack of self-worth, which is the root of everything in this world. How can we tackle our personal fears and how do we know when a fear is actually a positive thing? Welcome back to Redefine You. Today, we're talking about relatability and how we can build authentic connections with Rachel D'Alto, a relationship expert, coach, media personality, and speaker. She is the author of Relatable, How to Connect with Anyone, Anywhere, Even If It Scares You. You've seen Rachel as a relationship expert on Lifetime's Married at First Sight, TLC's Kate Plus Date, and as the host of FYI's Kiss Bang Love. Welcome, Rachel. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. It's so funny. I always forget about Kiss Bang Love. <laughs> Do you? I was like, oh yeah, there was that time I watched people make out for a summer in LA. Oh, oh my God, I love it. And we need to hear that more. But hey, before we start every single episode, I want to tap into checking in with you. If you were to check in with yourself right here, right now, what would Rachel find? Rachel would find a little bit of frenetic energy. Okay. <laughs> okay. I think, like, you know, I think I always have a lot of balls in the air and always trying to balance a lot of stuff, but it's definitely been super busy lately and trying to just balance it, I think is, uh, has been more challenging than, than usual. So if I'm being real and, and getting real, I'd be like, oh my gosh, girl needs a nap yeah. or like someone to help her pack her house up. <laughs> Oh boy. Are you moving right now? Is that what it I'm is? Moving. I'm oh, moving. God. I have a book coming out. Like it's everything at once. And then I just finished my master's thesis like last oh, wow. week. So I'm like, I'm wow. dying. So, wow. So yeah, that's, that's how I feel. <laughs> but see, that's a good thing. I think sometimes all the craziness can actually make us introvert a little bit more to really check in with ourselves and go like, what do I need? How do I service myself? If it's not today, maybe it'll be in a week's time but at least I'll put that into the schedule. You talk yes. so much about authenticity and that's something that I speak about all the time within my profession, but also in my personal life. And I feel like I've really found my knack in being grounded in me. And when you find that, you really want to be able to give that gift to somebody else. Because when you have that, no matter what anybody else says, you know that you're powerful in your own opinions and you can validate them without anybody else. And that is beautiful. So let's start. You started out obviously as a lawyer, which to me, I have to understand, you've gone from being a lawyer to being an expert in something as authenticity. Were you sort of analyzing different people's like interactions like during the courthouse I mean, that's where my head goes it's like, just like analyzing their like body languages and it's just like ooh, I know what he's thinking what's his next move you know it's funny because people do ask me all the time they're like how do you go from that to what you're doing now and how is it related and it's yeah. so tr- it, it, it doesn't make sense but it makes perfect sense to me probably because I lived it but I was really good at reading people See, that's and I was what really I knew. that's what I thought yeah it was like, like I was a jury a jury uh trial attorney. And so I would be able to read the jury and like understand and like read body language (laughs) without like, and it wasn't like I studied it. Like they don't teach you that in law school. So I would just figure it out and like feel it and then be able to utilize that to, you know, make better arguments and know when to back away and know how to read the room. So yeah, definitely played into that a lot. I mean, see, that's so cool. I mean, I'm sorry. I'm fascinated by all of this, right? And I think it's wonderful (laughs) because when you're curious about other people and, you know, a lot of people talk about it in like a weird way of like people watching, but I talk about it in like this curiosity of just, what is somebody's world and what is, what does it look like for them to just see somebody without even hearing what they're speaking about? Why fashion, I think is such a a relatable message is you're able to express yourself through it and you can kind of understand somebody through the way that they dress and their demeanor and so forth. So it's really interesting that you'd go from that to where you are now. I mean, you talk a lot now about healthy human relationships. Can you talk a little bit more about how you were able to go on that quest and if you struggled to get into it? 
Cool. Uh, well, I did a lot of learning. I did a lot of uh, life learning. So I, you know, how I got here, I was a lawyer who then started a dating company as a startup yeah. and ended up doing a lot of media around the dating company, which then they they would say, hey, you know, you can talk on camera. And I was like, are you going to do my hair and makeup again? I'll come back and say more things. And so I started doing more TV. This is about a decade ago. Um, but what I realized was the lessons that I was receiving in my life were really so much more important than even the ones I got in school. And, you know, yeah. I, I talk about a toxic marriage. I talk about, you know, really going through it and going through a divorce when I was 31 years old and, you know, with a one-year-old baby and a 10 mm. year old son, like all of these things that, that happened, um, have taught me just as much as my schooling has. And so I've lived it. And I, I think that's really what allows me to look at things from, you know, a, a broader scope of, I've, I've not only been in the trenches with people, but I've also seen the other side of it. And the last, you know, decade of my life has been so easy and beautiful, probably because of that. And because I was able to observe becoming aware and then learn around it. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. coolest thing is is that you can struggle and still succeed and what I hear from you is that your past has obviously brought you to your present of being able to succeed with that voice and sometimes you need those life experiences and those challenging moments to then really give you that purpose that you're searching for and so if we can start to look at this time being of somebody who may be going through a challenging moment to go you know what actually I know that in this challenging moment there's a lesson let's look for the lesson rather for the challenge right and get there first I know that you obviously you talked about relatability a little bit in what you just said and being able to relate to the story that you speak about now. What would you say relatability really is if you were to break it down as simple as simple could be to anybody who's listening? It really is our ability to connect with each other on a level where we get one another where you feel like you understand that person or you get them enough that you're like, that is somebody I could hang out with. That is somebody I want to spend more time with. And we don't get to that point unless we're doing certain things, unless we're showing up in that way. And, you know, you've you've used the word authenticity, which is, I feel like so overused at times Mm. because people, you know, they're, they're throwing it around, but it's so true. It's still, it's still what is the biggest connector is, is just being, you know, showing all the parts of you. And that's where relatability, I think, is always in my head. Um, it came to light. I, when I left Married at First Sight, I was getting all these messages from people saying, why did you leave? You know, you were the most relatable expert. And it made me think, like, why? Why did they think that? What What mm-hmm. am I doing that somebody on the other side of a TV who I don't know can feel like they're connected to me? And that's what led me to really take a deep dive in the last couple of years and, and look at what does make people relatable and why is it so important? Yeah. And I think, you know, even with just uh, the word relatability, I want you to dive in a little bit deeper with it, because I think some person who may think of relatability, they go, well, how can somebody relate to me? Because they grew up in a different, you know, surrounding as me, or they have a different profession than me. How can I, well, let's just put it as simple as this. Even what I get asked the question is, how can you talk about mental health? You grew up in the industry and, you know, how can you relate to somebody who, you know, hasn't had those same life experiences? And it's like, well, it's humanity. It's a feeling. We all have, we all have the right to have the same feelings, no matter where our social surroundings were and how we were raised. So for somebody who may challenge that sort of aspect of how can you relate to somebody who may have come from a different background than you, what would you say to that? 
we connect at the core and you actually yeah. hit it on the head. It's we're human. We are humans having an experience here and we connect at the core. And I tell a story, uh, I've told it on stage several times and I tell it in my book where I had my son when I was 20 years old. Everything was just super smooth sailing for me. I was straight A student, blah, blah, blah. Everything was easy. You know, upper middle class family didn't really have a whole lot of challenges. And then poof, you know, I now have a baby at 20 years old that I now take back to college with me and go to law school and then become a lawyer with. Who Look I at hit. you. <laughs> but it was really like, and then I, I hit him during my, the beginning of my career as a lawyer because I was so afraid of not getting the job because yeah. I'd be perceived as having this liability of a child, you know, when you're supposed to be billing 2,500 hours. But the thing is, I always ask people when I'm, when I'm doing it on stage, I say, who feels like they're more connected to me right now? And it's not, and everybody always raises their hand and then they come up to me afterwards and like, oh my gosh, like I, I felt like I knew you in that moment mm. it has nothing to do. Like, I'm pretty sure, you know, everybody in the audience didn't all pop out a kid at 20. I'm pretty sure they just, they felt like they saw a piece of my soul and saw a piece of my heart and my history. And they were able to connect with my heart. Yeah. I, I want to, you know, when it comes to you being a lawyer, just out of curiosity, I know that we talk a lot so much about our mental health. Were you ever in a place in your life as a lawyer where you were able to kind of speak authentically to your clients about even your struggles on days that may have been challenging with you being a mother at home and having to juggle the two? Nope. <laughs> no. Well, and I also look at things differently now, you know, now yeah. I am unapologetically 41 years old. I have yeah. gotten to the point where like, I don't care. Like it's kind of a take me or leave me stage, which is a beautiful thing to get to. But I was 25, you know, when I was practicing and at that stage, I think it's so difficult for, for when you haven't, you haven't gotten that firm of a footing. And I think that the twenties, you know, if I look back at it, it's such a growth stage, but you're just trying to figure stuff out and you don't have your sea legs yet. And you don't have that foundation to fall back upon of saying like, I don't care what people think of me. I cared a lot what people thought of me. So I hid pretty much everything. I was like, everything's perfect. I'm great. Mm. What can I do for you? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, so how did you get here then? I mean, what was in your toolbox at the time that then kind of was the evolution to say, you know what, actually I'm going to live in a more I'm just gonna say it. Fuck it mentality. Um, sorry. Yeah. I was just like, <laughs> I'm, I'm down you with you. I was like, yeah, I was like, I'm just gonna live in a more fuck it mentality where, you know, at the end of the day, if this is what I'm struggling with, I'm just gonna be honest about it because I know that I need to be able to vocalize it so it doesn't become internalized into something bigger. Yeah, that is that is a journey that I started on probably around when I ended my marriage. And it was, you know, because I was stifled, it was because it was toxic, because it was damaging to, you know, my mental state and, and hard for my children. I was able to see that from a different angle. And that's what led me on this kind of path of self-awareness. I never went to therapy before then. I never even thought about it. I was like, never thought about self-reflection. I was, I was such a typical, you know, a mentality of you get, you get good grades, you get a job, like you work really hard, like boop, 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 just get on the train. And then after that, it changed everything because I was like, okay, I'm going to go work through this. I'm going to go read some books. I'm going to try meditation. I'm going to go do a yoga retreat. Like all of this stuff where all of a sudden I was like, oh crap, we got some stuff to work through. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what led it. So it was like, it's not like this light bulb, you know, came on and was like, oh my gosh, poof, I don't care what people think anymore. You know, I'm so grounded in myself. It was just an evolution of baby choices that led to bigger choices that led to more and more and more until you get to this point where you're just like, what do you got for me? What do you got for me universe? Well, I you, got this. You, you <laughs> made yourself a priority. You were like, you know what? This is the first time in my life where I can actually look at myself in the mirror and say, you have to make yourself a priority or else I don't know what's going to happen. And when you get to that place, sometimes at the cliff of the edge, you're like, it's the wake up call that you needed to be able to put into your daily practice to say, it's okay. I have bad days and good days, but I need to understand those days to then move forward. And internally yeah. that's becoming self-aware. You know, we yeah. are experiencing right now the highest rates of anxiety, depression, and loneliness. And I know that obviously this past year has inflicted on that, but it's also, I think, allowed others to know that they're not alone because all of us are speaking more about it. Why do you think that, that we are in this place of high anxiety, high depression at this point in time? Well, I mean, yeah, taking even this last year aside, we were at the highest levels. We had a, a whole other pandemic of loneliness before this 
started, which is scary to think of how that's been compounded. And so I've done a lot of research on it. I actually went back and got a master's in psych because I have a glutton for punishment. I like to hang things on my wall. Uh, But (laughs) I... I've done, it's been a really big passion of mine is figuring out, you know, where the root of these things are and the biggest change and it, because it's especially around Gen Z and millennial generations that are having these huge spikes. And it's really no coincidence that social media is a rise too. Now I mm. love social media. So for everybody who's like, don't you tell me to get off TikTok. I'm not because I'm obsessed with it as well. Mm-hmm. We have to change the way we engage with it. We have to change yeah. The what what studies have found over and over again, it's not the usage of it. It's the importance that we place on it, but not just that it's the importance that we place on the likes and the comments and the validation. We can't get our validation from there because you're putting it, you're, you're literally handing people your emotional state and saying like it so that I can feel secure. And then we're screwing everything up. Well, I mean, you speak so beautifully about this, obviously, with your TED Talks, you talk about being authentic in a filtered world, right? I, I want to talk about social media in the sense of not putting the validation on the platform. But I also know that for myself, I think that's why I spoke a little bit earlier about how validation has to come from you. And what I always say to a lot of my friends is when they're in a bit of a rut in their life, I go do something that validates you. I don't care what it is. If you feel like you're trying to pass your test or you're trying to accomplish something in your relationship and you don't feel like you're able to achieve that validation, go find that validation somewhere else because then internally it'll just take off a box of you being able to remind yourself that you have the power to achieve what you're looking to achieve in other areas, but find that validation. So how can somebody truthfully look at themselves and say, Hey, I'm going to validate myself before I go onto the app so that I know that when I get on there, if something sort of teeters me, I already know my worth. Yes. Yes. Well, I freaking love that. And I say action and affirmation. There's two things because they have to work together. We can we can do do do, but if we're if our mental state is still repeating those negative uh, affirmations and mantras, then we're just kind of we're we're kind of treading water. But we also can't just talk without action. So if somebody is in that state of you know I'm I'm having some doubts, I'm having some lack of confidence, lack of self worth, which is the root of everything in this world, you have to start to talk to yourself nicer. So really choosing an affirmation. If you're having trouble just recognizing all of your negative thoughts, which is an enormous process in itself and problem that we have, you know, choose a mantra for the day, choose a mantra of I am enough, or I am worthy or whatever, whatever it needs to be. And then also take actions. I love what you just said, because this is something that I use a lot is fear is what prevents us from taking action. Action is what proves our brain wrong. So we have to prove our brain wrong. So find something. It could be those baby steps. I'm not into this whole, like throw somebody in the deep end. Like sometimes baby steps work. So find something that you're good at. Do something that you're good at. Know that you can prove your brain wrong and then take that next action. Then all of a sudden that confidence starts to build, that self-worth starts to build and you feel like I can do this. Yeah. I mean, you got me all sorts of, I'm, I'm all wired. No, I love it. I love it. I love it. Well, I mean, you know, let's dive in even deeper, you know, going into not only just validating yourself, but understanding your authentic self. Now, you know, this idea of authentic self had me thinking this morning of, you know, I talk a lot about this, this metaphor of leeches. I always say that, that we have different leeches that go on to our, our bodies during our lives. You know, an opinion of a loved one that said something to you, an opinion of, you know, somebody who judged you when you were younger. And so when you get older, Older, you kind of carry on those leeches and you need to start peeling them off so you can start to look at yourself and go, who am I? Where are my opinions of myself and what really are my values? But sometimes you can live in a state of question, right? So you feel like you know your authentic self, but then you're questioning your authentic self and then you're questioning that and overthinking that. How do we actually look at ourselves and go like, I'm going to actually take validation in knowing that this authentic self that I'm thinking of myself is actually true. <laughs> well, I mean, it's a bit of a you know cycle. what I mean, though. Like it's a, it's a it's a questionable thing if somebody doesn't, you know, if if they're worried about their own perception of them themselves, they can sometimes question it. Yeah, I, you know, and and you do, you do. I think well, and and we all do. We all go through phases, and the most confident people, even me now, and I know that I'm in a good spot, and I have been for you know for a decade. 
I still have questions and I still have moments and I still question things and wonder and all that. And I think that there's, you know, there's the, there's the really deep way that I, I suggest of people tapping into themselves, which is really talking to their, their inner child, you know, talking to that purest version of yourself. And it's something that I, I'm a big fan of meditation and meditating, going in there and imagining yourself at that, that pre-trauma induced stage. So whether it was trauma that somebody said something or did something, or, or there was an environment that really messed with you. Find that child before then and then ask that child their opinion of you. Ask mm. them who your truest self are because that is where that purity will come from. And honestly, at the end of that, it's all love. You know, when you go back to those stages, it's pure love. So that's the, that is the deeper version of what no, I it's a No, it's a wonderful version. I think your inner child work is one of the most important things you can do. And, you know, for myself, I don't think it appeared until now, which I'm in my late 20s. I think that, you know, as you get older, you don't you think, oh, I've got it all figured out. You know, nothing is going to hint me from my childhood. And then boom, it all happens. And you're like, hold on. Yeah. I'm talk to you again. <laughs> I, thought, I thought that this was like, you know, done with. And now you're you're like, oh, my God, I had no idea that I should have dealt with this maybe seven years ago. Um, but, you know, I think your inner child work is a beautiful one and not enough people really talk about it. I think it's a very sometimes people may think that it's a spiritual thing to talk about your inner child when actually, no, we all have inner child work. And it's a beautiful thing when you can start to connect with it. I mean, did you deal with your inner child? And if so, kind of what age do you feel like that sort of shows up for most people? Yeah, it's so different for everybody. And I've, you know, when I've I've talked to groups about this, I'll be like, try five. And someone will be like, yeah. um, so this happened when I was three. And I was like, okay, go to two. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, <laughs> so it really is so different for everybody. I know for me, I always went back to that five, six. It was before I got bullied and before I had gained too much weight and had this issue of body image and all of those things that I took with me that were all part of my story that I that I talk about. Uh, but yeah, so it's it's so different for everybody but going back to that stage and also understanding that, that those moments do imprint, just like you said, like a leech and you could pretend that they don't exist. And, you know, my fiance has the push it down approach, which yeah. is the exact opposite of what I do. He's like, I'm going to write, like you write the book where everybody like dives deep into shit, and I'm going to write the push it down until it bubbles up. And I'm like, no. So, but yeah, we, we can't, we can't push it down. Oh, I think, you know, that's the thing is that everybody's different. And I think even in relationships, which we'll get into pretty soon, it's it's definitely that idea of trying to figure out how to, to balance talking about the things that have gone on when you were a child with your partner. You may not want to go there as fearlessly as you do. Right. And what that looks like. So let's dive into communication. I feel like it's a lot harder for people to understand how to communicate with one another. And you talk so eloquently on this. So I want to know what are the first steps in just feeling free with communicating to another person that maybe you don't know? You know, it's it's interesting because obviously a lot of people talk about communication. Whole books have been written just about communication. And for me, the way that I think about it, the way that I talk about it is that communication is energetic. It's not a list of things that you have to remember to say. It's not, you know, a, the certain words. And obviously semantics do matter. But at the end of the day, it's energetic. Communication is making sure that someone feels important and they feel mm. listened to. It's it's paying attention to the cues, which sometimes takes a minute for people to understand that you know you have to read the room and be be able to adapt to the communication that you're having. So I, I just think it's far more alive and energetic than it is anything else. So that's that's kind of how I look at it. I love it. Read the room. I think reading the room is one of the most important things. I always say that to so many people. I'm like, just read the room first. Just read it. Like, because so yeah. many times you can go in with this perception, especially for work, to pitch something and you come in so vivacious and all of a sudden the room's here and you're like, all right. Okay. <laughs> and if you come in up here. Like, yeah. <laughs> and they're like, like, whoa. And you're like, yeah. okay, I'm coming back down. I'm reserving <laughs> myself back. Um, but you know, not a lot of people have that sort of freedom within themselves to go like, okay, well, this is what I planned, or this is what I thought was going to happen. So now that I've come into this room, how do I shift my energy into what the room is asking for? So what would you tell somebody who may be fearful of doing a presentation at work or, you know, walking into a new situation that may be a bit uncomfortable for themselves and having to understand how to read the room. Yeah, I think the first thing is always listening first. So if you have the opportunity to observe in any situation, it allows you to give that moment of a beat. 
you know, take that beat, be in in a space of observation and then speak. Because I think oftentimes we're, we're always coming in with our own agenda. We have something mm-hmm. to say. And in just in any conversations, typically we're, you know, they say that we're, we're often listening to reply versus listening to listen. So if anybody's feeling uncomfortable, I always say, you know, definitely take a beat, listen, and then engage. And the other thing you actually brought up earlier that I think is super cool is I'm a big fan of curiosity. The more that you can get curious about people, get curious about what's happening, get curious about the environment, utilizing that curiosity to make yourself feel more comfortable, but also make the other people around you feel more comfortable because they feel seen, they feel heard, they have all of this attention on them and it takes it off of you and allows you to take that minute. So utilizing those two things can make an enormous difference for anybody who's coming into a situation. They're like, "Eh, I'm not really quite ready for this. Well, it's such an amazing tool to hear and something that I heard at a very young age as an actor. You know, what we always say is when you walk into a room, you're there to see, not to be seen. And so it allows you to start looking, you know, to stop feeling like everybody's eyes are on you and start to put your energy outward and to be curious. And curiosity is such a wonderful, wonderful tool in all aspects of life. And it's not really taught enough because maybe when we're kids, we're taught to be curious. But I think at a certain age, it's like stay in your lane, stop being curious about everything else that's going on in the world when actually it's like, look out, there's all these beautiful things happening that are waiting to be able to serve you in this moment, allow it to be able to serve you by seeing it. Um, You know, we, you talk obviously about this whole struggles with face-to-face conversations and As somebody who deals with social anxiety myself, and maybe you wouldn't think it because I am very vivacious and I love speaking to people and I'm so curious, but I do deal with it at certain periods in my life and pretty bad as well. And those periods, I hate small talk. I mean, I'm not a small talk person. I am when it comes professionally, fine. It's my job, right? Personally, if I had to, if someone told me to come to a party, a bunch of people that I didn't know, oh, I would say no 10 times in fold. I mean, they're just, I don't need it. I'm not there for it. I feel uncomfortable. <laughs> I'm just like, don't need it. So, you know, how can somebody feel better in my situation a little bit more about small talk and not feeling so, I guess, uncomfortable at times? I think, you know, it's an interesting thing because I, I hear you on that. It's just, it's it's kind of the gateway because you can't lead off with really intense conversation at times, especially yeah. with people you just met, unless it's already been prepped. <laughs> you know, if the situation calls for it and you can dive into things. But I would look at, I think it's all perspective. Everything that, that we look at in life is all based on a perspective that we have. And in order to shift the way that we look at it and shift the way that we show up to it, we have to change the perspective that we have it. So I would... I would look at, you know, small talk instead of being this thing that's dreaded as the street that takes us down the road that we're looking to get down further. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and also just be very aware of like, okay, some people may take a minute to feel comfortable enough to then engage in that next level of conversation. But once you're there, you know, and, and looking at it from a what what connections could I be making with people who might not be ready in that first instant to, to dive deep, but who would be an amazing friend or mentor, or professional colleague, or whoever it is that you're, you know, possibly making that small talk with? I think, you know, if you look at it from that perspective and that potential, then you could shift the way that you look at it, and also just, you know, it's it's kind of a means to an end. And then once you feel, because obviously you're you're feeling and you're reading the room and you're feeling the energy of the conversation, then take it to the next level. And and then you've already you've moved past it. It's almost like that first date. You can't get into you can't marry somebody. And oh my gosh, I'm honestly I was just gonna say you can't marry, marry somebody you never wanted on a date with. <laughs> I knew you were, and then I was like, you girl, married at first sight, married at first sight. <laughs> that's okay. No, it's okay. It's okay. You and that was a different situation because they had people who were looking out on their behalves before. TV. Yeah, it's a very, it was very different television. situation. A fine situation. But I mean, let's you know, oh, like funny. let's let's even dive into that because I think when you when you talk a little bit, obviously about small talk, the first thing that comes to mind is also dating. Dating starts sort of with a little bit of small talk, right? Yeah. And I was sort of curious about this idea of like authenticity and vulnerability and where we are today with our mental well-being and talking openly about that on a first date. Like where 
would you suggest people to go if it's a part of their life and they deal with an anxiety condition and they feel comfortable enough to be able to speak openly about it? Should they go there or should they revert? I mean, I hate, and I would just say, I hate that people have this assumption that you only put the best version of yourself on the first date. I'm like, I put it all out. Cause I'm like, (laughs) Hey, like take it or leave it. Cause I know my worth and I'm going to enjoy this date instead of making it about you. I'm making it about me. So like, I want, I want to know, I want to know, what do you think? Do you think it's too much? Do you think it's, you know, perfect? Where are we at? I mean, maybe it's because I'm a Libra. I'm always like the balance. Like, I think we need to gauge one. You have to gauge what you can handle because not everybody can handle being vulnerable regardless of the response. Right. So you always have to be prepared. I always like, like to think like two steps down, if this person doesn't respond in the way that, that they should, or a more empathetic soul would, then I need to be prepared for that. And if I'm not, then I need to not engage in that way yet until I am prepared for that, or I'm comfortable enough. And the thing is with vulnerability and authenticity and getting deep with people, they need to earn it. Like your audience Mm. needs to earn it. And so there are times and places where they may not have earned your, you know, your heart on your sleeve or your soul bearing conversation and, and that's okay. And so I think it really is a balance of your own comfort level, your own strength level of, of being able to handle, you know, like you said, you could just put it all out there and you're like, I don't care, like take it or leave it situation. There's some other people out there that might feel really anxious about that and then take it in if there's some sort of rejection and then it takes them back a step. So I think it's really, it all comes down to self-awareness. At the end of the day, you have to be aware enough of how am I going to react if they, if they don't, you know, react in the way that I would like and have they earned it? You know, it has this relationship reached a level where that is appropriate in terms of where they're allowed to access me. And that's where I think everybody has to kind of self-assess. It's not a one size fits all. I'm listening and I'm receiving because I think everything that you just said also applies to just relationships, just in general, with just people. And especially in my field, in my career, you know, I speak so openly about mental health, but sometimes I forget that people have to earn the respect of hearing all of the story. Right. And that sometimes I have the right to be able to keep some things to myself as well. Absolutely. When you have sort of those conversations with certain people, what like for instance with married at first sight, you're obviously putting two people who don't know each other into a situation where you're trying to identify why they would connect with each other. Is like their mental well-being journey and their practices and the way they take care of themselves. Is that an idea of what you sort of look at when you're trying to match the two together? Yeah. I mean, when I was doing it, so I only did seasons four and five, but we had days, you know, they have a psychological background that they go through. They have uh, sit downs with us for days about everything. They have surveys and questionnaires. Like you basically get everything and they have to open up and have to go deep of, you know, what they're looking for, who they are, what they prioritize in their life and all of those things in order to be able to be in a position to say, okay, this could potentially be your match. So yeah, you have to, it's all out there. You know, a lot about these people. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, you do. I, and, so. <laughs> I mean, what I, like I said to you before we started the show, you know, I've, I've watched one season of the show and I mean, I just found it to be fascinating. And I also felt like there were real connections that were being made. And that was the beauty of it. Right. I think in all these dating shows, you see some that are really being made and then you see some that may be a little bit too forced or, you know, they're trying to make it work because they're put into a situation. Um, and yep. the beauty of it is obviously that they do get to find themselves through the process as well, because they start to identify what they want and what they don't want. And I think that opinions in dating is so important. Like once you start to get more involved with somebody, you start to understand the opinions of yourself and what really your values are. I believe so. Do you think that that's a really great tool is when you start dating someone to actually identify what your opinions of your values are? 
Oh my gosh. Well, that's I, how else would you, would you recognize them unless you're doing it, unless you're in it. And sometimes the, the biggest lessons that you have are from the ones that don't work and the challenges that you've had in relationships. I often say, if I, if I'm talking to someone from a dating standpoint of, you know, they're frustrated and I'm, I'm always say you have to start identifying the non-negotiables. What are the values that you deem to be absolutely a non-negotiable? And these aren't, you know, the, the looks or the money or the job. It's all those innate qualities. And in order to identify those, sometimes you have to experience not having them and realizing that without that quality in somebody, this doesn't work for me. So experience is everything. And, you know, that's why I think sometimes you just have to get out there and start doing it so that you realize, okay, that I don't want that. I want that. Or I do want that. Oh my gosh, give me more of that. So, yeah. Well, I think that for, you know, for some people, it also takes a little bit of time. Like, I don't think that I went into my relationship, I'll just be candid. I didn't go into my relationship with any like checklist. I mean, it was really just more of like, wow, I fell just, you know, madly in love with this person from the moment that I met him. And we just let things go because I think I accepted him for all that he is and all that he was and where we would go and develop together rather than being like, is he me all these, all these things. And as I get older, I think I start to ask myself those questions and start to identify what, where does this relationship grow and so forth. I have to touch in about how you have a book called Flirt Fearlessly and that you, you guide people to pre-flirt prep. You pre-flirt prep. I'm like, I'm like, oh my God, what's a pre-flirt prep? What do you tell people to do? I need to know. In the Uber ride over, do, in the Uber ride over, do they have like a pre-flirt prep that's going on? Like, do they like, like rack out what they're going to say? You know what my favorite part of this? So that book is from 2011, I want to say. Oh, and it was like pre-Uber. So I don't even know. Uber didn't exist. <laughs> it was it was taxis. It was it was called yeah. the taxi company. Wait 40 minutes and then get in one. Yeah. Oh my God. No idea. That's one of those things. So I wrote that book and I, I'm like, if, if something could die. No, <laughs> no. Hey, I mean, at the end of the day, it's it was your journey. It, it was your stepping oh, stone to actually have people identify being self-aware, right? Because I think flirting, yeah. like you said, it's like it is. It does. It's flirting. It's just a natural way of saying I'm confident in myself to know that I'm worthy to be open to you know, entertaining this sort of energy or relationship that's in front of me. Right. But I think when yeah. people don't it's feel that confidence, fun. yeah, they can kind of go, okay, I, I don't have the right to sort of shift this energy into a different space. So yeah. hey, it was a fun book that you did. We'll move on from it that was. and go into, you know, <laughs> it's all good. I, I love that though. I mean, it's wonderful. If you really think about it, it is a wonderful thing that you did. And now it's brought you to your journey, journey. Here we are. So yep, I want to talk about how in relationships, Everyone speaks about the honeymoon phase, right? But mm -hmm. that can then lead into the fear of getting too comfortable. How do we not have that shift or not have that fear of getting too comfortable and allowing things to always become the honeymoon phase and not feel like, well, there's only one short period of the relationship where you're going to feel that instant passion and love for each other? Yeah, I think the honeymoon phase can last forever if you put the effort in. And that's really the challenge is that people, comfort isn't the problem, complacency is. And when we get to the point where we don't care enough to still put the amount of effort in that we were putting in in the beginning, then we have a problem. And that's that's really the challenge is that, you know, we just get too complacent in those situations. And honestly, you know, it doesn't always take that much effort to bring it back. It's just you have to be willing to do the work. And I hate when people are like, oh, my God, relationships are so much work. Well, their effort, you know, there's another human. There's another human's heart involved in this. So, yes, we have to have some. There has to be some sort of work in here. Um, so, yeah, that's the biggest thing. I don't think the honeymoon phase has to end. What do you think are the best techniques for work? Like, you know, I know obviously you probably are a fan of couples therapy. I think a lot of people talk about it and it's a wonderful tool to have somebody outside the room kind of come in and navigate the emotions. But if somebody, you know, didn't have the means to be able to go to couples therapy or it may be a bit too challenging for them, what work would you say to imply, you know, on a weekly basis to make sure that they're making those moves and strides forward together? 
Yeah. Two things. Uh, I think there's internal work and there's external work. Internal is really working on that self-awareness. How am I showing up? And there's actually two books. There's a book that I would suggest for each of them. Neither one of them are mine. Uh, The first (laughs) one is Attached which is understanding your attachments. So we have different ways that we show up in our relationships. And the more that we understand how we attach and and the way that we are, the better we can show up. And the second one is the love languages. So I'm sure a lot of people have heard about them and read them. So Gary Chapman wrote an amazing book on love languages. And in that, it's, it's all talking about how we speak different languages. We receive and give love in different ways. And then one of the smallest things you can do is to find out what your partner's love language is and just start speaking it. Even if things are rough, even if things are tumultuous, you know, when you start to put the effort in, in a way that they receive it best, then it can start to shift things back into that honeymoon phase. And it doesn't require, you know, these gallant efforts. It could be something as simple as leaving a post-it note you know, with an affirmation on it. It could be simple as I'm going to make sure that I do this act of service for somebody because that's what their love language is. It's more hugs. It's, you know, all these different elements that that typically we aren't as aware of until it's too late. What's your love language? You know, what's funny. It actually shifted over time. So the first time I took the test was probably about 10 years ago and it was affirmations. Words of affirmation was everything I needed to be told. And if I wasn't told, then I didn't feel like I was loved. And I remember I actually broke up with somebody because he didn't say, I love you enough. And -hmm. I was like, that just wasn't, I needed more like, and now ironically, my fiance is full on affirmation. He actually covers a lot of them, but now it's, it's, uh, time quality time is my everything. Like I, I don't need anything else. Like I've never been a gift person. I, I don't care if you take out the trash. I don't care if you clean the house cause I'm not doing it either. Uh, but I need, <laughs> I need time. Yeah. And so that's, yeah, but it shifts, it shifts over time. Sometimes I'm physical touch all the way, yes. all the way, all the way. Yeah. I need that energy. I just need it. And when I don't have it, then I'm like, Oh, but I do know that that is mine. And it's a it's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful book. And many people do talk about it. And I think when you do start to identify how another person receives love and how they give love, you start to understand love at its core and how to be able to combat it together and grow. So it's a, it's a wonderful, wonderful tool. Um, let's tap back into just being able to find some techniques to overcome our personal fears, because that's something that you speak so fearlessly about. How can we tackle our personal fears? And how do we know when a fear is actually a positive thing? Because there is a positive side to fears, right? Of being able to kind of let us know that maybe somebody's at the front door and breaking in, Um, you know, just little (laughs) little things that, you know, are actually a good fearful thing to start to go, okay, um, something's igniting inside me that I need to identify. But how do we overcome our fears to let us know that we are always in a safe space, that the unknown is actually just a beautiful place to explore? Yeah. And you're so right. I think fear keeps us from doing really dumb things sometimes. And that's a good thing. Uh, but it also prevents us from reaching some of our goals. And I think one of the biggest things is to to look at it from a very uh, unbiased standpoint of, okay, why am I afraid of this? Uh, is there something that I can pinpoint? Is it something from my past? Is it something from my present? And and what is that fear in the way of? Is it in the way of something beneficial to me? Because when you can see past the fear towards a goal, then all of a sudden you have your eye on a different location and then you can focus on that instead of what you're afraid of. And then I go back to, I love my baby steps. I am not, you know, I'm not going to be that person that it's like, just throw them in the fire and they figure things out. And honestly, that works for some people that, but I've met too many people that that becomes overwhelming. So then take those little steps, prove your brain wrong. And then all of a sudden the fear doesn't feel like this mountain as opposed to just, you know, a tiny little hill. I'm going to climb that hill. I'm going to prove to myself that I can do it. And then I'm going to go to the next one and I'm going to keep going higher up the summit versus I need to see the top and I need to get to the top or I might as well, you know, be wasting my time. Is there a daily practice that you sort of preach about becoming self-aware without fear? Without fear, or I I think self-awareness is also embracing the fears of, I feel that 
I feel into it. And, you know, I think the biggest practice that anyone can engage in is when you have an emotional reaction to something, typically even, you know, the emotional reactions can manifest as physical symptoms, right? You you get nervous and you feel it in your stomach or your head or your heart and everybody feels it in different areas. But the more that you can sit with it and then feel into it and then try to take a step back from it to understand, okay, how have I felt like this before? What have I done to overcome it? Because we're all like, we're a constant research project. That's all, that's, that's all humanity is. Yeah. <laughs> we are constantly yeah. figuring out like, does A plus B equal C or is it A plus C? Like, what do we need to do? So the more that we can understand what have we gone through before? What can we try this time? But becoming aware of it. You know, I think the, the worst case is that we're on autopilot. The worst situation, the worst outcome is that we just live on autopilot. We allow those feelings mm. to come through and we do nothing with them. We're just like, oh, I'm afraid. I'm gonna shut down. I'm just going to let it go. I'm going to let it feel. I'm going to feel nauseous. I'm going to have a headache. I'm going to have my heart palpitations. I'm just going to ignore it. I'm going to, I'm just going to be, you know, upset and, and fearful as opposed to how do I tap into that? You know, what I'm curious about speaking to you is this idea of, I talk so much obviously about body positivity and body image in general, and it's the connection that you have to yourself, which then connects you to your body. And I want anybody who's listening to understand that that changes over time and that that's okay, that it changes over time. And the connection to your body uh, can kind of be similar to what you just spoke about, right? Go back to another point in your life that you had that fear towards your body. What did you do to overcome it? How did you get that strength back to know that it's okay to be where you are? Is there something that you talk about maybe in your practice that's gained more towards body image than it is towards the mental capacity of, you know, being self-aware? Yeah, you know, and it's it's an interesting thing as you were talking, it made me think of uh, one of the hypnosis practices. So I also, I became trained in hypnosis years and years ago because Amazing. I was like, I need like next level meditation. Like, okay, meditation is cool. I could sit there and like chill or <laughs> I could just start rewiring shit. <laughs> so <laughs> but, You're but one of my own heart. Get to right, the next like, level always. <laughs> yeah, like just extra. I'm just going to be extra all the time. I'm all, but, I'm all for it, all for it, all for it. <laughs> But that's how I think like when we think about our bodies and, and confidence and, and just being comfortable in who we are, for me, it's also how do you pull your feeling of goodness around something else that you know you're good at and you can feel that energy and you can then attribute that and pull that in. And I've done that with hypnosis where you you get to this state, you're super relaxed. You're like, oh my gosh, I'm imagining myself as my most confident self. You feel like just filled with that light and excitement and comfort and love for yourself. And then you look in the mirror in this virtual mirror and you pull all of those feelings in as you are staring at yourself just as you are and just embracing every single freaking centimeter and just allowing that to reconnect in your brain is so powerful. So that's, that's, that's what I do. <laughs> no. And I think I, it is, it is so powerful and it's so needed. And the more that we can take time with ourselves to just look and to see and to accept and appreciate what the body does and to allow changes to happen, the freer that we will be. And, you know, there are things that do get into the way. I'm not going to be somebody who's going to say that there aren't, you know, you can one day feel like you're powerless, power, powerful to, you know, all the negative comments that may come when it comes to body image and just around yourself in general. And then one day it can hit you. And, um, you know, to say something really quickly, I mean, I just went through this situation the other day where I felt so comfortable being in my bikini on the beach. And I mean, Hey, I love my body. I love my curves. I'm so happy. And then, you know, there was some hate that came across with it. And even for myself as somebody who's so comfortable in my skin, it did hit in a certain point, but then I started to shift that hit to go, you know what, actually, I know that I'm going to turn this into a positive knowing there's so much more work to be done for me to stand in my place, to let other people know that it's okay to be authentic and to celebrate your authenticity, even if somebody else doesn't agree with it. That's fine. That's their opinion. Your opinion means something. And that's exactly what you showcase with everything that you do, Rachel. So thank you so much. Um, before we go into a couple of questions that tap into what make you, you, I just want to say, how do we harness the energy to the connections we make? In what way? 
how do we necessarily take a hold of the energy to the connections that we make with another person? How do we allow that to shift something inside us to be able to move forward and to make bigger and longer lasting relationships and connections? Yeah, you know, that's it's such an interesting thing when you think about it like that of just, uh, I think, allowing um, and also opening, you know, I think one of the things when when it comes to the connections that we have so often when we are meeting people, when we are making those connections, we're still closed. Like we are, we're, we're still scared. We're still, we're still tightly wound. We have the door, sometimes a door, a wall, a, a moat, <laughs> everything's yeah. in front of it. If you really want to harness the energy of connections, if you really want to harness the energy of relationships, you have to let your heart soften. And I think that's the hardest part for some people. And I think part of the reason is that, you know, we've been hurt before. And there's so many situations where we've been hurt before and we have to be able to allow that to soften so that it can grow and that those impacts can be made. As we leave every episode, I want to ask you a few simple questions that tap into what make Rachel, Rachel. So we ever so often on the show, obviously speak about the importance in having your own personalized toolbox, but I want to know what did you use out of your toolbox the last time you experienced a flare up or just even a challenging moment? Meditation. I did. I, I, you know, it's one of those things like you don't, you don't realize <laughs> that you haven't been doing it until yeah. <laughs> you, you really need it. And I had this moment where I was like super anxious. Everything felt so overwhelming. I was crying. I'm not a crier. I'm just like, a. I, I people are like, do you have tear ducts? And I'm like, occasionally. And I said, oh my gosh, I need to go meditate. I need to go do a, a self-hypnosis. And I did it. And it was one of those, like, why don't I do this more often? <laughs> yeah. 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 But it's hard sometimes to actually like give yourself that time in that moment. And it is true. It's like once you do, you're like, oh my God, why don't I do this more often? This is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> uh, give myself this in my daily practice. Um, I want to ask you lastly, what are the three biggest lessons you've learned in your life? These can be words, feelings, sayings, stories, sort of whatever authentically comes to your mind. I, you know what I speak in threes and, and I go back to kind of the principles of relatability, which is what, how I live my life. It's connection, that authentic connection, communication, and inspiration. If we aren't following our inspiration and we aren't focusing on what is our purpose that can change over time, we're, we're missing out. You're amazing. And I just want to say thank you. Thank you for sharing your expertise, helping so many people in their journey to become authentic and just truly showing your own authenticity as well. I think that you are a great example to showcase that there's so much strength and vulnerability and the relatability comes from you sharing your own story and your own journey. So I just want to say thank you. Thank, thank you. Thank you. you. And if anybody would like to, you know, continue the conversation with Rachel, she can be reached on her Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Rachel D'Alto. And you can get her book at racheldialto.com. Thank you, Rachel. Thank you. This was amazing. Thank you. If you are looking to continue the conversation around living an unapologetically authentic lifestyle, then this podcast is just for you. Our goal is to build a community in which you feel empowered to celebrate you by hearing inspiring stories of ownership to self, to always remember to lead with the three M's. That's mindfulness, movement, and mental engagement. You've got this and we're here to support you along the way. So be sure to subscribe and download so you don't miss an episode. Some of the topics we discussed today may have been triggering. And if you're in need to speak to a crisis counselor, please text home to 741-741 or head over to projecthealthyminds.com slash partnerships slash Haley for your curated resources ready to hear from you. This has been a Stage 29 podcast production. The podcast is executive produced by Haley Hasselhoff, Patty Chiano, Laferne Cusack, and Stephanie Kaysen. Our audio editors are Jackson Ruff and Jonathan DeMatty. Callie Kelts is the social media producer. And a special thanks to the rest of our podcast crew, Rwani Horinigay, William Cusack, Lisa Clark, Katie Brown, and Morgan Kaler.
This podcast has been produced by Stage 29 Productions for entertainment purposes only. The contents of this podcast does not constitute medical or professional advice, do not reflect the opinions of this company, any of its parent companies, affiliates, subsidiaries, promotional sponsors, or advertising agencies. The views expressed by the host and the guests are their own, and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or an entity they represent. For more information, please go to stage29.tv.